Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to our dear listeners who are joining us again for another exciting episode of the Eval Edge podcast. Joining me in the recording studio today are our uh, Eval Edge hosts, Tom and Elena. And also we have excellent guests whom I will introduce in a bit. This today's session is a continuation from the webinar that was held in January, where we talked about data science, big data, and its applications or use in evaluation. And we've had several queries uh, as a result of that webinar, uh, people writing to us that they wanted to know more discussions. So we thought we will cover them in uh, this uh, podcast, uh, largely uh, more from a discussion panel kind of a format rather than an interview as we usually do. So joining us today are the panelists from the webinar in January, Veronica Elizabeth, who is our senior advisor and director of measurement evaluation and organizational performance at the Rockefeller Foundation. And she's also the president elect of the American Evaluation Association. She's an award-winning evaluator with a global portfolio ranging uh, 15 plus years. And she serves on various funding and advisory boards and has published several topics uh, and books on evaluation. And Michael Bamberger, one of our regulars and someone we closely collaborate with, he's an independent evaluation consultant and he uh, possesses over 40 years of experience evaluating development programs around the world and has been working for the past few years on opportunities and challenges for the integration of big data into M&E. And he also works on complexity focused evaluations and how data science can strengthen these evaluations. And finally, we have Peter York, who is the principal and chief data scientist for BCT Partners. Peter has over 20 years of experience as an evaluation consultant and researcher and for the past eight years, he has built predictive, prescriptive, and causal evaluation models using large administrative data sets and machine learning algorithms in fields such as child welfare and workforce development. So we have a great lineup uh, to discuss that is the most important and pressing topic uh, of our times, both whether you're a data scientist or as an evaluator. So I would like to hand over the session to Tom who'll, and Elena, who will be guiding us through this panel discussion. Tom, over to you. Thank you, Val. That is um, just really very, very exciting. Um, I mean, obviously, we, we had a number of conversations uh, previously, but continuing on some of those, perhaps you could, um, Michael, if I can turn to you first, uh, throw some light on what are your general impressions uh, about the level of interest amongst data scientists as well as evaluators, and how keen do you think they are to cooperate and, and work together. Uh, Michael. Thank you, Tom, and hello, everybody. Um, I think it's important to begin by just remembering it's very dangerous to generalize about all evaluators or all data scientists. If you have an econometrics background, you'll feel very comfortable switching over to big data, perhaps. But if you've been spending years doing ethnographic studies, you may find this is a completely new and perhaps somewhat uh, uh, uncomfortable field. So we just need to keep that in mind when we say all evaluators think this or all data scientists think that. Um, so just a few of the general perspectives of uh, uh, listening to evaluators. Um, I think the first point is many evaluators are still not very familiar with big data. They're beginning to hear about it, the interest is growing, but there's a very large number of evaluators I think have still never used big data in, in their work. So they're curious, some are very excited, some are a little bit suspicious, but 
it, but the, the uh, interest is growing, particularly among younger generations of evaluators. So we're gradually going to get this, this shift. But um, one, one of the areas where evaluators um, are, are interested is just trying to reduce the, the cost and time of data collection. This is one of the major constraints on doing evaluations. It's so expensive to collect data, you just have to work with very small samples. So there's a great deal of curiosity about how you can get much larger samples and analyze them much more quickly. So that, that's, that's one point where there's just general interest, even if it's still not completely um, understanding all of the ways you can do it. The, the other thing is being able to get information rapidly for difficult to access populations. Um, many people are working in, in, in conflict zones. You're working with migrating populations. Um, you're working with groups which are difficult to access either because it's dangerous or because you can't locate them, geographically remote areas. So there's a great deal of interest of how you can increase your access um, to, to, to populations. And th then there's a lot of curiosity about new kinds of, of, of data. For a lot of evaluators, they're still not quite sure what social media analytics is or satellite images or phone analysis, but there's, there's a lot of interest. People are aware that they're often having to work with fairly narrow ranges of, of data. Um, so, so that's an area of interest. Now, people are beginning to hear about um, artificial intelligence, but my guess is most evaluators are still not using most, most of these analytical tools, but th there's a lot of interest, um, but it's still quite, quite a new field. And then the, fi the final area is the question of complexity. Um, most evaluations are not able to address complex programs. They, they say that this is going to be a complex evaluation, but then they just go back to doing a pre-test, post-test comparison group design. So the, there's beginning to increase interest in, 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 in complexity analysis. It, it hasn't got very far yet for many evaluators, but this is seen as I think one of the really big potentials, particularly for people, for example, who work on uh, things like the SDGs, where you, you, you can't escape the fact that they're incredibly complex and all, all interrelated. So th those are a few of the, the points from the, the perspective of um, e evaluators. And then maybe just a couple of very quick impressions on, on data scientists, but I'll, I'll leave to, to Peter and my other colleagues to go into more detail. Um, my impression is perhaps among many data scientists there's much less interest in evaluation than evaluators have in data science. I think a lot of data scientists don't really think they need evaluation. They look upon it as being somewhat uh, old-fashioned, the methodologies and so on. So th this is not true for everybody, but there's th that, that's the impression I, I get among quite a lot of data, data scientists. There's some interest in, in ground truthing of trying to check on the ground um, the data you get from, from, for example, satellite image, but it still surprises me how little. Um, I think there's thousands of satellite um, image analysis where nobody ever checks on the ground to see whether the data is valid. Um, so, so some people are becoming aware of, of this as an, an area of importance, but it's still not, not everybody. Perhaps just the, the final point, one area where I, I think um, that, that there is a lot of interest on the part of big data scientists is if you're looking at large scale social development programs where you have integrated service delivery of health, education, credit, um, mental health services on a very large um, uh, um, program, because 
you realize you need to understand behavioral dimensions, you need to understand organizational, how services are being delivered combined with your, your big data. So I think that's one of the areas where interest is growing. So this is just a very quick snapshot and rem reminding us that I said you can't generalize and then I immediately went into generalizing. So we, we need to keep that in, in mind. That is fascinating. And, and for evaluators, so much for us to be thinking about there. Sample size, speed of data collection, um, access to difficult to reach populations, and engaging with complexity. That's quite a, a, a rich uh, diet for us to be uh, considering in the next uh, 20 minutes or so. Pete, if I can turn to you perhaps, uh, and thinking about cooperation between evaluators and data scientists in particular, and your experience of that. Sure. Um, I think that. One of the key foundational elements of being able to achieve this kind of cooperation, and we'll talk later about what is the demand for this kind of cooperation between the two groups and across the groups, data scientists and evaluators. But a key thing to understand in terms of the cooperation is that there has to be a discussion really about um, an understanding of the philosophies that drive these two fields. Um, and I think that philosophy affects how then can we cooperate. Um, and it's good to know that data scientists oftentimes, and again, I'm going to speak in generalities, but we know that there are unique um, uh, members of every population I'm about to generalize that, that this doesn't pertain to. But on the whole, as a majority, uh, data science is really a field in which their, the underlying philosophy, uh, purpose, and intent is really to get at the subjective, what's the subjective predictive experience likely to be? What's, what's the case specific? Uh, what can we learn about each case? So it's very subjective. It's case by case. It's probabilistic. The use of data science oftentimes, uh, and again, it's not the only use by any stretch, but a lot of where the attention is right now is on really being able to predict, accurately predict. And that accuracy is really important and it's case specific, whether that case is an individual, an organization, or a community. Now flip that around and look at the philosophy of the evaluator. And we're looking more through an objective philosophical lens uh, about populations. It's more macro in that sense. Uh, and validity is what really matters, the truthfulness, not necessarily predictive accuracy. And so you can see these very different philosophical perspectives purposes and uses for tools that creates a, a need to first and foremost, in order to cooperate, we have to dialogue around what, what those mean, what tensions they create in order to really get to where we can begin to cooperate. Because those phil philosophies do create a, a, a divide, uh, a chasm that has to be crossed. We have to bridge and we have to build a bridge to those. Um, because I think in the evaluation, if we're gonna use data science for evaluation, the key is to get to that space of how can we bring more validity? How can we remove the bias, um, but still gain some of the benefits? And some of the, the other benefit that's really important from a data science standpoint is data science actually knows how to analyze using AI and machine learning complexity. So complexity is something that actually with big data science can really be helpful. But again, the challenge is that issue of predictive accuracy at the cost of bias and maybe not even having validity versus really being able to get that validity. And that tension, that bridge has to be created by 
really orienting each other to our philosophies. And frankly, a decision has to be made as to what's going to be the driving philosophy of the utilization of data science. And I think validity has to be ultimately that end goal. Thank you. That's really, really interesting. And Veronica, I see you nodding there. Could you, uh, did you want, just want to come in? Uh, uh, so building on what Michael and Pete have shared, uh, you know, in, from a cooperation perspective, I, I do think that there is confusion. There's confusion, as Pete just mentioned, around philosophy. There's confusion around skill set, uh, and there's even confusion around engagement strategy. And so, if we just look at skill set and zoom in, based on my own experience working with data scientists, working on projects, uh, thinking about how to leverage data science as as a tool, for example. Um, thinking, uh, you know, you start to think a little bit around like the use case, not just for data science, but we're as evaluators always thinking about the use case for evaluation. Uh, and, all, and we'd like to believe that those use cases and utilization converge, but often um, they don't. And so here, uh, this is what I've learned about some of these assumptions. So the first is uh, from the evaluator side, uh, we, uh, we see that data scientists are actually not clear on the breadth of what evaluation is. From, an eva from a data science perspective, evaluation to them is about experimental design. And so in a world where that is your perception and you're trained as an econometrician, for example, um, which is all about experimental design, so to speak, you just presume that you can do that too. So there's, there's a little bit of a sense of a reductionist perspective on what evaluation is. Uh, and therefore how easy it is to just do it. Um, on the evaluation side, there's uh, a bit of a misperception around what even data science is. And we use these words like big data, we, we throw in machine learning, artificial intelligence, data science, which are all great uh, and wonderful um, within their own rights. You know, but we often wonder when we're engaging with the data scientists and their portfolio of projects, you know, are they statisticians? Are they computer scientists? Are they um, econometricians, as Michael mentioned? So there's a little bit of a confusion and we want to be able to box it in. Um, but in fact, there's a breadth of experience and knowledge base there too. Um, and then I'd say the last thing is in working with data scientists, my perspective is, you know something about data, I know something about data. Um, we can generate data, there's data that exists. Uh, and so we must all be on the same field around that. And um, what I've learned is because of what Michael has mentioned, many data scientists have not been to the actual field. They've been very much in, a, in an insular, intra-verted uh, type of, uh, of, of, of platform. They, um, they actually don't know how limited information in the global south is, information um, around emerging markets is, and it causes a little bit of friction because as an evaluator who believes that you should know something about the data and the people in which you're working with, the, the values around that really drives a lot of judgments. And to Pete's po earlier point, it's not just the philosophies, it's the values. On the flip side, uh, data scientists, as Michael mentioned, are um, live in the world of big N for the most part, not in the world of small N. Small N is limited. It's uh, usually categorical. Categorical data is not easy to analyze. It's qualitative. Um, it's, it's, it's just different. 
and um, and and there's a little bit of a dismissive quality around what you can use that for, uh, because they've never actually gone out and realized the quality issues in in some of the data sets, and so they're limited in terms of what they can analyze. And so while uh, being able to analyze, as Pete mentioned, is the superpower really of data scientists. Um, being able to contextualize and know something about the quality of the data itself is a limiting factor. Uh, and so these assumptions about both from both camps really does drive a little bit of friction. And so while we want to converge, and while there's definitely curiosity um, from both sides, these, uh, the, these philosophical and skill sets assumptions really does uh, create a little bit of a barrier that we can talk about. Thank you so much. That's great and really interesting. Um, before I bring Elena in, uh, I just wanted to ask uh, any of you really about your experiences of overcoming these uh, barriers to collaboration. Are there particular examples that you've got where it's worked It's worked very well? It's been easy to, uh, Veronica, you were very articulate about the um, relationship between the two disciplines and the data and, and the skill sets that underlie those. Um, uh, are, are you, have you, come across particularly good ways of building those bridges? Uh, maybe I'll start with you, Veronica, and then move on to, on to the others. Sure. So, you know, as, as we've talked about um, in different fora, um, and as Pete also alluded to, you know, part of the uh, figuring out how to design the, 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 the most effective relationship between a data scientist and an evaluation really starts by um, increasing the number of times that they're forced to work together. Uh, and so right now in the space, there isn't a lot of examples of data scientists and evaluations evaluators coming together. Uh, we have, as a collective over the years, have um, been involved in various different projects um, where, where we have kind of created the enabling environment to bring the two together. And so I'll speak uh, from one example, and I think uh, we can also speak, uh, Michael can speak from various different examples as can Pete. So um, right now we, at the Rockefeller Foundation, for example, we are very excited about the power and the uh, promise of data and data science in terms of being able to do all the things that we've already talked about. Um, yeah, I, I call it like bigger, better, faster. <laughs> Right and uh, and decision making. It's all in service to decision making. And so something that we have been trying to figure out is, you know, well, when are those moments of connection? Uh, and so just as with about the evaluation practice, we have learned that it's really helpful to be thinking evaluatively um, at the early stage program project design, country project design phases. Uh, and so similarly data scientists have been also invited to these early stage design conversations. And ideally, at, you know, back to, if you put yourself in the mind of either, if a data scientist, you would come to the table and you would be able to apply your skill set around um, analyzing data. And what we have found is that data scientists are certainly being trained to analyze data, but they're not necessarily trained to think about program design. If you think about it, evaluators had to learn that too over the years. Like we didn't start, we started off as a very technical um, 
uh, school of thought and, and have over the years uh, diversified um, and become strategic partners. And that's what we mean by evaluative, right? Uh, and so data scientists are not there yet. So, so when you put them all together in these early stage design processes, uh, it becomes really clear what our various skill sets are. Uh, and so while we still have to work through the interconnectivity of how we play together in the sandbox, and I often say, you know, who drives? Um, uh, I think that early stage design has really been helpful in at least playing out those processes and eventually making clear uh, what's, who whose skill set is most needed in what area. So for example, evaluators are really helpful with theory of change and program design and facilitating conversations around hypotheses and surfacing indirect uh, consequences and risks. Like these are all the things that we do. Uh, data scientists have no idea what any of that is and don't even, don't even place value on it. There's this presumption that those types of activities just happen. Um, and so uh, it, it actually, but people and other teams don't, know, don't realize that there's a difference. They just believe data scientists must be helpful at doing X, Y, and Z, just like evaluators and that their skill sets are interchangeable. So by bringing them together in early stage design and then figuring out roles and responsibilities clearly collectively, um, we've seen that uh, bringing that collaboration together um, uh, is, even though it's forced, uh, is more optimized. Um, and then the last thing that I'll say is, um, in bring, uh, I've also seen it uh, play out in terms of commissioning partners. So, you know, if you work for a multilateral um, uh, and are a commissioner, for example, as, as I am, um, um, oftentimes, you know, you're searching for the partners and fitting them into a, a box, a strategy of some sort. Uh, and so oft, uh, not until we actually get the rubber hits the road and we actually get to searching for a partner, whether it's through development of a terms of reference or do an RFP process of some sort, and we start to interview partners, do we realize that, um, that there's a lot of overlap in terms of what a different a measurement and evaluation partner can do versus a, uh, a data science partner. And often that forces a conversation around how are we going to um, prevent duplication and redundancy and overlap? Um, because you know, at some point, once you get data, you have to analyze it. And that's where I think the overlap can be, um, but also, uh, just clarity, it's a learning journey, clarity around, oh, this is what evaluation partners and firms and consultants can do and deliver, and this is what data scientists can do and deliver. Uh, and so uh, increasing these opportunities, I think, will get us a little bit closer to that collaboration that we seek. Oh, that's great. So I love the idea of it being a dance between two partners as opposed to uh, people on either side of a chasm trying to shout at each other. Uh, Pete, you're very much uh, experiencing this as the other partner in this relationship, uh, as it were. Um, perhaps you could, you could say about so, uh, how you see collaboration working well. Yeah, from my vantage point, what I would first of all note is um, I, I sit in a unique position in the sense that I've been a 20 plus year evaluator. So I come out of a, a graduate education in, in research design, quantitative methods in a social work school. I went to Case Western uh, for graduate school. And, and so I was trained in that methodology and approach and spent 20 years doing that work. And then really it's over the past decade that um, been uh, learning and integrating the tools. And that's the lesson that I think is really important to bring to this is that um, 
The data science toolbox that's out there does not require a PhD in data science. It doesn't require a master's degree in data science. Um, I think evaluators, as they start to learn how to collaborate, the first step is to become trained and educated on the tools, machine learning, uh, some of the Bayesian approaches to analytics, uh, what it can and cannot do. Um, I, I think that it, it cannot be said enough because in a lot of ways, what we have to do is have an evaluation field led um, development of the methodologies so that, and then the data science tools and toolbox and community can serve as a very important technical resource. So I've led numerous projects um, that we brought together teams of data scientists and evaluators subject and as well as sort of um, frontline experts and stakeholders on the ground. Um, there's a very particular way you can use existing data, but evaluators need to start to learn how to adapt their methods um, uh, to those data sets. So you can actually stage uh, different uh, evaluations and data by generating theory, testing theory, testing hypotheses, weaving in causal modeling techniques. These are all things that evaluators can use and learn, add to the toolbox machine learning because it affords the ability, both the technological speed and efficiencies, as well as some of the tools that can address some of the pain points we have in using big data and studying and researching and evaluating programs. Um, and I really am of the mindset that, and maybe it's because my, my heart is as an evaluator, uh, I've obviously spent the past 10 years learning data science, but, but I speak from the heart in the sense that I believe that if we're going to have valid uh, big data analytics and data science, uh, the methodologies of research and evaluation, uh, evaluators need to become educated on the toolbox and really lead, in my opinion, the methodological design and understanding of how we stage the modeling, as we call it in the data science world. Um, and then the data scientists, I have a team that I work with that we have multiple data scientists, but they're, they're really um, key resources and they do co-lead when it comes to figuring out technical solutions to problems we're having, but the methodological framing and leadership of that uh, work is really led by the evaluators. And so I think the big thing is we've got to start to encourage evaluators to learn about these tools, understand the difference of what we were trained on in the frequentist analytic approach and move into the Bayesian understanding and deal with the tensions that lie in there. Um, but I think if we, I know there's enough work out there that we've begun to do that. And I think that collaboration is really going to require that. And then, and then at the end of the day, um, I, I think that we need to start weaving data science education into the social sciences um, in a very intentional way. Um, because right now data science is, is occupied outside of our field. Most of data science is still geared towards the internet of things and the attention economy and all of it driving business and commerce. So there is a select group within the data science community, but I think there needs to be some, some bringing together and bridging of those. Thanks, Michael, Peter, and Veronica for this enlightening discussion. I think uh, this is a great stopping point uh, for now, and we will pick up with this conversation in episode part number two.